Lord, we thank you that you are present with us and you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, that the gloom is not what you intended for us forever. But somehow in the waiting, in the darkness, the gloom was eradicated and you came. And we thank you so much that you came for us. You did not leave us to our own devices, nor did you leave us or abandon us in the pit, but you came for us. And so we welcome you and we bless your name, Lord. We ask you that you speak to us in these short moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll keep looking at this nativity. Um, And actually, I would like to to read two passages that are very interesting. Verse 8 of chapter 2. And we'll read it uh, from the ESV. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born. We sang about this, right? Many times. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And the angels were referring back to another passage of scripture that was in Isaiah chapter 9, in which Isaiah prophesied in the midst of the gloom of Israel, For unto you a child is born, and unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Remember that? We're going to link it back there. But you have to understand, as we were saying last Sunday, that actually the occasion and the period and the times And the mood into which Jesus was born was one of tremendous gloom. Tremendous gloom. And that gloom had had been going on for hundreds of years. And it was a gloom that the Lord had, the prophet Isaiah had warned about. A gloom that would come from the judgment of God upon Israel. Christmas is the advent of God coming into our gloom. Amen? But you have to know that Christmas is not uh, effective, just, just, let me put it this way, celebrating Christmas is not an effective way of scattering the gloom. You have to enter into the gloom with God. That is what Advent is all about. We talked about that. That there would be a future gladness and joy, but you have to enter into the, the reason why we are so sad. The reason why we are so hopeless. And Advent was a time, has been a time, it's still Advent, right? Today. Tomorrow only is Christmas Day. <laughs> Advent is a time we enter in with God. Where God enters into our darkness. 
our hopelessness, our predicaments, our sorrow, the depths of our despair, the depths of our disorder, the depths of our mental illness, the depths of our own fallenness. Advent is the time where we remember that, we bring it before God. And it is into this gloom that two people, Simeon and Anna, were waiting for God for what the Bible called, what they called the consolation of Israel. Simeon was a very old man by that time, so was Anna. They were two very old people who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Yeah. It was into this need for consolation that Jesus was born. So when we say, for unto us a child is born, we are talking about the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the, the God who sends Himself, who enters in and penetrates into that gloom. Wow, isn't that amazing? Now, I want to talk about this because I feel that this is something that the Lord is speaking to us. And so, can you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9? And we'll look at that famous chapter. Isaiah chapter 9. And we will look, about that, look at that prophecy um, that speaks of this child who is born. And we'll read it from verse 1. We've been reading about gloom. And then Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom. How about that? Hallelujah. But there will be no gloom. (laughs) Praise God. I've been talking to you about gloom, 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 gloom. Now, today we'll say, there will be no gloom. (laughs) Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the northern part of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee for the nations. Because Jesus would be coming and ministering in Galilee most of, the, most of his time here on earth. Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. That's freedom there, right? The coming of the Messiah would bring freedom from the yoke. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult, tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And here's that famous, beautiful words, for to us a child is born, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. That's a, it's a, it's a wonderful verse. The thing about this is this. Isaiah chapter 9 
and Isaiah chapter 8 are totally contrasting. Isaiah chapter 8 talks about judgment of God, the sin of Israel. It talks about how Israel has rejected the gentle waters of Shiloh and have chosen the waters of uh, Syria. And it says that as a result of that, Assyria will come upon you and will flow upon you and will destroy those, those waters of, re, of resin, of, of uh, resin, the king of Assyria. It will destroy you and it will devastate you and you will enter into the gloom and you will enter into the shame of it, the contempt of it. And chapter 8 and chapter 9 are completely two different and opposite uh, pathways. Chapter 8 talks about gloom and darkness and judgment that's coming upon the sin of Israel. And Isaiah was speaking to the, the nation of Israel uh, in, in chapter 8. Because ten tribes had decided that they would align themselves with Syria. Rezin, yeah, the king of Syria. And the, and, and the, and the, the king of the northern kingdom of these ten tribes was Ramalia, okay, or the son, and, and, and his son was Pekah. They were evil kings who chose Syria to align themselves with Syria because Syria was the, the, the superpower at that time. Let's look at it in chapter 8 so that we can understand the context to which uh, the child is born. Alright, let's have a look at this. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 8. And we will read it from verse 6, I believe. The Lord spoke to me, Isaiah said, because this, Lord has, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia, which is Pekah, who's the, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. The river, when you see the river in capital R, it's the river Euphrates. Yeah? So these are huge rivers. There's nothing in Damascus or in, in Syria, Abana, Papa, there's anything like the Euphrates. The Euphrates would swallow up and eat Abana and Papa and Jordan for breakfast. Okay? Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Syria, Assyria, and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, the southern kingdom, because um, the, Isaiah was actually also prophesying to the southern, the king of, of, uh, of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, and said, don't go and do the same thing. Don't go and make an alliance with Egypt just to protect yourself with Assyria, from Assyria. So the, the northern kingdom aligned itself with Damascus or Syria, and uh, the southern kingdom aligned itself with Egypt. Okay, there was going to come a time in which they would really regret that. Okay, really regret that. And Isaiah was saying to them, don't do that. You have rejected the, the, the gentle waters of Shiloah because you respect and you go after the strength of Damascus or the, the, the strength of resin. Don't listen to Ramalia, the king, or his son Pekah. Don't listen to all them, all of them, because by choosing 
the stable, the more powerful, the more active rivers, you're identifying yourself out from God. The river Shaloah is a gentle flowing river. Its source is at the, at the base of Mount Zion. Okay? And it was a picture of the reign of David, the, the rule of David. The thing about that river was that it's not as powerful. It's more gentle flowing. Does that make sense? And so Isaiah was saying, you have rejected the gentle flowing kingdom or the rule of God in your life. Actually, to be, to be honest, sometimes the river doesn't even flow. Because there's not that much power behind it, right? But it flows gently. But Isaiah is saying is, what Isaiah is saying is this, you want something more powerful. You want the more powerful rivers of Syria. Because you think those powerful rivers are more reliable. And you are relying on human power. The more effective human power instead of the gentle flowing rivers of Shiloh. And what God was saying to Israel is, is, when you reject the rule of God, when you reject the way of God, and you walk, you reject the way of faith, where you have to go by what you don't see, but which your heart apprehends in loyalty, you actually build your kingdom upon certitudes. Because you want reliability. The rivers Abana and Papa would always, always, always uh, flow. But God was saying to them, you want so much to be secure and stable without reference to God so that you can be safe without God. And he says, that is going to make you unsafe. Because when you put your trust in these bigger rivers, these bigger, more powerful, more active, more fast-flowing, more famous, more well-known, well, more recognized, more... Uh, esteemed rivers, you actually put your faith not in God, but your faith in safety. That is a tendency that all of us have. We constantly are looking for safety. That is why the word safety is very important in our modern language today, because we want security. And that is not the way that God has called us. God has called us into a way that is more secure than that. But we want a security we can feel and see, but which will also cause us to not need God. We want to be safe, we want to be healed, we want to be cured, we want to be uh, financially secure as in such a way that that feeling of becoming free of sickness or, he or disease or problems, to be free from problems, is what we really look forward to. That's what we want. We want that freedom. We are wanting freedom also to be left alone. C.S. Lewis says, our greatest sin is this. We just want to be left alone. I know that. I feel that. Just leave me alone. I don't... <laughs> Honestly, I enjoy going to the restaurant alone. I really, I really do. I like being left alone. Now, when we think about freedom, 
C.S. Lewis says, the freedom that we are wanting is the freedom to be left alone. Now, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, what that means is not that you just want to be isolated. It means that you do not want your will, your self-will, to be trammeled on or affected by any responsibility to someone else there. As long as there's someone else in your space, you have to relate to that person. Make sense? And the issue of freedom is a very important issue when we come to Christmas. Because in chapter 9, the, the prophet says that the Messiah will come and he will break the yoke of Assyria from you. Does it make sense? But in chapter 8, Israel's desire for freedom is a desire for something that he can depend upon in the natural. That feeling of being free to do whatever I want to do. Correct? Have you ever had that time when suddenly you're free? There's nobody there. You have enough money. You can go buy anything you want. You can do anything you want for 24 hours. You are alone. Oh. You can eat anything you want. You don't have to ask anyone permission. You don't need permission from anybody. You, just that feeling. The feeling of that is just it's dizzying, right? That feeling you, is something that the night before you will not be able to sleep about because you're looking forward so much to that feeling of freedom. Freedom. <laughs> we love freedom. Okay? And so what Israel's problem was that they wanted the kind of freedom that is total autonomy without any, any, anyone to account to. The freedom of no government over you. I see. We want less government. We want no government. Actually, we, don't know, we want no government. We want free will to reign supreme. I mean, that's what we really want to. No, we don't actually talk about it, but in our private moments, you know, when we, when we are alone, when there's nobody who's eavesdropping on our thoughts, right? When God gives us a break, and for a moment He turns His eyes away, which He does not. We wish He did, did. But we live as if He does. We could just do whatever we want. Now, freedom and liberty, as conceived in the West, is very much that way, I'm afraid. Freedom is, the, is defined as the absence of any kind of uh, trammeling or any kind of effect, any kind of restraint upon our space. Right? That's the difference between space and place. Place is like you belong, but because you belong, you're accountable. But you belong. There are emotions, that, there are feelings, there are connections that you have with that place to which you belong. Space is different. Space is what we tell people when you don't want to bug you. It says, give me some space. 
space is a, a more autonomous kind of uh, um, um, state. And so what Israel, I want to say, is this, they, they didn't like the gentle waters of the river Shiloh. Because that meant they, they couldn't fulfill their ambitions quick enough. The fact of God is troubling. And what God says is, because you have rejected that, and you have gone for, for Syria, for resin, a greater river will come and it will overwhelm you. The river with a capital R, the awesome river of Assyria will come and it will wipe you out. It will wipe out resin as well. Because you're opening up yourself to that. But there's a very interesting thing that in, in Isaiah chapter 8 uh, we see as well. Okay, let's keep rocking, uh, reading this. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, Euphrates, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. That happened when, with Hezekiah when the whole uh, city of Jerusalem was surrounded and besieged by the armies of Rabchakeh. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of the land, O Emmanuel. It's interesting, the outspread wings. Those of you who have, been, have seen pictures of the Assyrian uh, Empire, um, you see the symbol is, uh, is the eagle with outstretched wings and uh, kind of also the face of a man with a beard. Remember, you see this in the British Museum. Re- reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of, the, of land, O Emmanuel. And God is calling that land Emmanuel. You belong to God. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor, be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us, which is what Emmanuel means. And what he's saying is this, you're going to fail because God is with you. But he's reminding you, he's reminding Israel, you have to know who you are. Your freedom must not destroy who you are. You've forgotten who you are. You are Emmanuel. And so what God says is, I've bonded you to myself. I'm with you. Because of, I'm with you, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. And because of that, O oh Emmanuel, I will not let you be completely destroyed even. And you will, be, you will be struck down and struck down and struck down until every function and every system is destroyed, every sense of stability is destroyed, until you come to a point where you're just nothing. And then out comes the springs of Shiloh from Mount Zion, Emmanuel. And then you realize who you are. And that's how you come to chapter 9. Because from these ways in which you've been struck down and you've been stripped, out comes the spring. And then in chapter 9 he says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Small, very small. 
This is the sign. What's the sign that the angel gave to the shepherds? You will see a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling bands, like, wrapped up in the manger. You know? It's amazing, right? So, chapter 9 is it's an amazing. It addresses the complete darkness that we all experience. The darkness that Simeon and Anna were experiencing in the midst of that waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the Messiah to come. And the Lord had spoken to Simeon that he will not see death. He was now well, nigh, well, well into his 80s, I believe. Well into his, 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 his later years, he will not see death until he sees the Christ, which is the, the anointed one, Mashiach, yeah? the Messiah come. And so he was waiting. He was waiting. We'll talk about that later. Now let's go to chapter 9, okay? Because chapter 9 is a more cheerful chapter. All right. The yoke of his burden, verse 4, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 4, four verse, six, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. What God is saying is this, freedom comes because a child is born. For, because, unto us a child is born. I love that we sang about that, right? We sang about that again and again and again and again. And some of you are wondering why we are saying, born, what is it? Born is a king. Yeah? Born is a king, born is a king, born is a king. Okay, enough. Born is the king. Enough. Born is the king. Because something is pivotal here. You have chapter 8, the destruction of Euphrates, of Syria coming. And then, for unto us a child is born. And on that little child, everything turns. Everything changes upon the birth of this little child, who's only a little child. Very, very in, insignificant in the eyes of the world. Not like the big rivers of Abana and Papa in, in Damascus. It's just like this little Shiloa, gently flowing stream. You have to recognize it. You have to be tuned into it. If you're not tuned into it, you just miss it. And we get a chance to remember that it was shepherds, the most, uh, the most despised lot in Bethlehem. Yeah. They were not owners of those sheep, you know. Those are what we, what we would call hirelings. Yeah? The ones that Jesus, Jesus said, if the, if, the, if the thief comes or the wolf comes, the hireling will run away. These, were the, these are the, the runaway people that were taking that. And Jesus came to them, these runaway people, these cowards, supposed to be reputed as cowards. Isn't that amazing? He comes to the cowardice, the cowardly part of us. He comes to the least, the least noble part of us, and he comes and he reveals this unto you. A son is born, given unto you. A child is born. Oh, isn't that amazing? That the coming of Jesus and Christmas is personal to me, personal to my issues, personal to the particular maladies I have. Isn't that amazing? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Wow, praise God. This morning I received a text from, uh, from a, a boy who I had prayed for in September last year. He had had very, very serious lymphoma. And he was, 
his life was, it was, was severely threatened. And uh, he had gone to Germany for treatment. First time it didn't work. We prayed for him though. Uh, his mother uh, in, in Malaysia, I believe she lives in Malaysia, um, actually gets on Zoom and listens to the sermons every Sunday. And so she gave me a call. She said, you know, can you please pray for my son? And uh, not only is the treatment um, uh, necessary, now we're supposed to go back to Malaysia, but he can't fly. He has to fly tomorrow. He is in so much discomfort and pain that we can't even imagine taking him on the planes to fly from Germany back to Kuala Lumpur. So for a few days we prayed and I had a word for her and for him. And uh, and they received it. And I noticed the way they received the word. They receive it as something that is not just a piece of information or data, but as something from God. The way in which they received that word, they took it upon themselves and they said, we're going to go. We're going to take that flight. They took the flight. I was anxious to know how it, how it went. They arrived safely in Malaysia. He had no discomfort, no pain, no stomach problems, no vomiting, nothing. It was completely okay. So that was in September. Today, I received a, um, a message from, from him, the, the boy. He says, I just want to let you know that I have been free of lymphoma up to now. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's so amazing. There are some times in which where what we, what we desire is not something that medical science can actually um, assure us of. The powerful rivers of Abana and Fafa will not necessarily give it to us. But we want that. We want that. And God says, no, you need the gently flowing stream. You don't know when I'm going to come. I'll come because I, I love you more. And my reliability is because of my love, not because of the fact that I've got powerful streams for you. Or because I'm, 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 uh, I'm scientifically assured. Praise God. And what God calls us to is to come back home to that. Amen? Come back home to that. So praise God. In chapter 9, the issue of freedom comes in. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the burden of Assyria, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, will have, bro- you have broken as on the day of Midian. Talking about God. It strikes me that the issue of freedom is something that, that's important for us. I don't think we have actually looked at the word freedom enough. Because the question that, that we have to ask is, what is this freedom that God gives to us? Right? Actually, the, here's the question. Freedom for what? What, what? what is this freedom for? So if we've been set free by Christ, by the Messiah, 
He set us free from all our problems. Okay, I get that. That He set us free from our oppressors. I get that. But what, what for? What do we do with that freedom? So it's the question, freedom for what? Right? In the 90s, 7-Eleven had this advertising. They came up with a, 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 a superior product from Big Gulp. You know what's Big, Big Gulp? Big Gulp is like this humongous um, um, drink, right? You can get Mountain Dew. Uh, they came out with the Super Big Gulp. And it came out on July 4th. And so the advertising says, Super Big, Super Size Big Gulp, because America likes the freedom. The whole idea is this, we want our freedom so that we can have a big, super, super big gulp. May I say, suggest to you that sometimes what we want is the freedom from being, from being troubled or by being restricted by other people. But given the, the inner bondage that we have to ourselves and our self-will, you know what we will do? The moment that freedom is given to us, we will enter into the prison of our own self-will. What we will do is that we will trivialize that freedom. We will begin to be diminished to our own trivial selves. Big gulp. Big, super-sized big gulp. In fact, the more freedom that we have, the more we have to supersize our big, big gulp. Because there is nothing else. There is nothing else. So, one of the things that I noticed about talks about retirement and all that is that many people, Christians included, they look forward to their retirement, their nest egg and all that. And the first thing that we, I hear being talked about is, I'm going to retire so that I can go and live by the beach and get a boat. That is the trivialization of our, 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 our last years in life. May I suggest that? that? That freedom from work, from my responsibility, from my family, from everything, is so that I can have fun. May I suggest to you that the question of what is our freedom for is really important. May I suggest also that when, when, uh, in chapter 9, when the freedom is talked about, it talks about this way. For unto a child is born, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I'm going to set you free, and then I'll govern you. <laughs> what kind of freedom is that? I thought freedom is just freedom to be left alone. May I suggest to you that many many Christians have no idea about what they're going to live for. Actually, I think what they want is in their freedom is to be able to do the, just to be happy to do the things that they want to do. Now what's happened is this, in America, we've actually seen, we've absolutized the pursuit of happiness. True? But we redefine happiness as what makes me happy, feelings of happiness. But the idea of the good life, the idea of uh, happiness with Aristotle 
And with God, it's not about that. It's about the, the, the freedom to be able to do the good, the beautiful, the glorious. Amen? The true. And what God wants to do is to set us free, not so that we have the huge big gulps, but so that He can govern us, so that He can train us to do things that only eagles can do, that angels can do, that can cause supernatural things to happen. That the freedom was not just so that we can retire and get a boat and go to Las Vegas or go to, go to places of fun, but so that we can do the works of God. So that the freedom always has a purpose. It's a purpose of doing something that we could never do with all our do-gooding and all our good intentions by ourselves. It is the freedom to actually fly, not run fast, but to fly. To take off from the earth. To be able to do the works of God. To heal the sick. To set captives free. Not alleviate their pain only. But to see the power of God at work in people's lives. And for that, it requires the governance of God's training and discipleship upon our lives. Now, there are problems with our freedom because we are bonded by that. And I thought I, we, we, we can talk a little bit about that right now as we th- think about the bondage of freedom, so to speak. I think the first problem that I have with freedom of that sort, that kind of autonomous freedom, is we are afraid of anything that would curb our freedom. We are afraid of anything that would curb our choice. We are afraid of anything that will cause us to be able to be trained to fly. I tell you. Because to learn how to hear from God and to recognize the invisible requires some training. It requires a certain commitment to that. It requires a certain giving up of my autonomy. It requires a certain regularity with which the thing that I am wanting to be free to be able to do requires in the transformation of my life for that. I would love to be able to drive an F1 Ferrari because of the speed. Wow, it's amazing. But the training that it would require would kill me. Well, it won't kill me. But it will be very hard. Here's the freedom that we need. We need the freedom to be able to train. We need the freedom to not be afraid of hard and good things. What say you? We are afraid. And as a result of that, we think of freedom as more in terms of a freedom from being disturbed, from being curbed. That's why we are afraid of losing our options. Sometimes we take a long time to, to, to reply to an email or a text message, right? 
Because we want to know. We want to hedge ourselves. If I say anything that will commit myself, I may regret it. That's why we take a long time to get married sometimes. Right? We date and date and date and date and date. There was a guy in our church who, 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 who used to be in our church who dated for five, ten years because he couldn't commit. He didn't know that getting married will make him fly. It'll kill him first, but it'll make him fly too. Does that make sense? But he's not, he's, he didn't have the freedom to die to that. So he, because of that, he missed out on really great things. His freedom kept him within the bounds of what is doable according to human nature, which is broken and diseased. And any good thing that he wanted to do had to stay within that circle of what's doable within his own broken nature. After 10 years, they broke up. You know? I want to put it to you that there's something about us that in our desire for autonomy and freedom, we are not conditioned to be really free because of the fact that we have a fear of what it would take for us to be free. And I want to put it to you that as we look at the freedom that God has for us this coming year, God will give us the grace to commit ourselves to some things that will actually make us fly. Make us fly. Be regular in church. Be regular in your prayer life. Be regular about it. Don't be afraid of displeasing people because of the fact that you can't make certain, certain fun things that other people are inviting you to. It's okay. Be, stand for something other than the big gulp. Than the boat by the beach. God has called us in freedom not to be free so that we can just lose our lives in doing fun things and being left alone. He's called us so that we commit ourselves to certain things that are going to be hard. But they will make us different. And there will come a time in which only those who can hear the voice of God and can see the invisible will be able to fly and everybody else will be more oppressed than they ever were before. And may I suggest to you that when God comes, He comes and He sets us free. He, he's, he's born in us. A new nature has been given to us through the work of Christ on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We, in our diseased self, are so afraid of commitment. We're so afraid to be in anything regular, anything that involves <coughs> the possibility of conflict with another person or rejection. We're so afraid of that. <coughs> As a result, result of that, we stay always a certain distance away from flying. We run really fast. <coughs> we run really fast. But it's not flying. We do a lot of good things which every human being can do. You don't need to be a Christian to do these things. But we can't do the works of God. I want to suggest to you that God is doing great things. We heard from Dion, from Shannon, and I can, I can point to so many different ones in our church, on Zoom and here, who are doing things that could not be done humanly 
They are the kingdom of God. <coughs> they, are, they, are, they are of a justice of God that cannot be done. That are risky and they are hard, but because they are hard, the Son of God is born into them to such an extent that they can do it. Amen? So the fear... Oh, thank you. Wonderful. The second thing has to do with the fact that I realized, and I'm, I'm just going to end here, that my left to my own self, left to my own desires, left to my own selfish ways, when I'm free enough, that freedom would actually destroy me. Permission destroys me. Options can sometimes destroy me. Not all the time. Who is there for me in the interim where my desires get trained? My concupiscence begins to be trained in such a way that I would naturally choose the good. Where is that? How is that going to happen for me? If I desire the good to be able to do great things and to be free as well, to be free from, free from oppression to do that, that prevents me from doing these things, when all the, the trammelments are taken away, who's there for me <coughs> when I am free in my, my, uh, in, in my will? To save me from my self-will that will cause me to mess it up completely. Now, here in America, I see a really good practice. We talk about people in terms of their good points. Yeah. Their good points. This person is a man of God. This person is a woman of God. Because they are gifted, they do these things, they are wonderful things, they are kind and all that. We talk about these people in terms of their best points. Does that make sense? We like that. That's good. You see the good in everyone else. But I know very well that for many of these people, there are these other fatal flaws as well. It's the fatal flaw that will kill you. The fatal flaw is the strength of the chain because the strength of the chain is in the weakest link. So you can be a person who's a great preacher who does great things and is even used by God in a tremendous way, and then one day you will disappoint everybody. You will destroy point of one because that part wasn't dealt with. Who's going to help me between here and flying? There are many people, because our society is, is, is designed in such a way that we just put those things under the carpet. We don't deal with those things. We don't deal with hard things. We just look out for the good points. There are many people who will be used by God, but they will be destroyed because there wasn't anybody there to curb their freedom or to govern their freedom. So when Jesus comes and the Son of Man comes in Isaiah chapter 9 and He comes to break the yoke, He breaks the yoke of that as well. Not the yoke of oppression 
and unfairness and injustice only, but the yoke that's inside me. Because given what I know about our, our own human nature, we will destroy ourselves. And that's why many people who have been helped to come to a place of financial security, of whatever, status and all that, they're no better. Because the inside bondage is not taken care of. And so when Jesus says, I want here to, to set you free so that you can fly, he means, I want to govern you. And the government is a gently flowing government. Not a despoiling, not an oppressive, but it's a gently flowing. It's humble. It may be small for a while, but it's a gently flowing one. And what will help me is to not look at Abana and Papa and Damas Damascus and Egypt and says, I wish I want to be like that. I want them to accept me. I want to be recognized in those terms. But to me, to go back to my gently flowing stream and let that stream grow in me. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We thank you that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Actually, you later said that of your government there will be no end. We thank you, Lord. There are no gaps in that. That your government is not oppressive. It is one that is unto us amenable to our particular individual needs and structures. We thank you, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves. You can be trusted. That you're not a one-size-fits-all God. But you know us in our unique quirks, places in which the path is not straight. It needs a bit of a curve here, a crooked place there, a kind of a jagged pass there. You know us through and through. And in all this, you're a gently flowing stream. We do not want to reject it, but we want to say that it is true that you can make us fly and that you can train us how to fly. Then we say we want to be committed to you, Lord. We want to be people who are not afraid to say yes or to commit to put you first in our lives to give to you to serve you We ask you that even now that you would uh, open ourselves uh, you know, to a real freedom that we've never had before We bless your name